once again, it's a blessing to be with you, to bring God's word to you once again. And I would like to open your Bibles in the first epistle of Peter, the apostle Peter, who wrote these epistles, First Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1. We're going to read only the uh, salutation, which is verses 1 and 2. And our sermon will be based, based on that uh, portion of First Peter chapter 1. So here, God's holy and infallible word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Amen. The Word of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your holy word, we pray that you give us a humble heart in order to understand your word, explain it, and submit our wills and lives to your holy word, O Lord. We confess, Father, our many sins because we know that in Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, there is abundant redemption. There is abundance of forgiveness of sins in him, in his blood. And Father, we pray that with your Holy Spirit, you may enlighten our minds and hearts in order to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the gospel in this portion of the scripture. We pray this only in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you take the time to read First Peter, Second Peter, you will realize that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote uh, with different um, goals in mind, but one for them for sure was to encourage the church of God that was dispersed in that part of the world as they were going through sufferings, persecutions, and adversities. I know that uh, your pastor has been teaching about uh, a healthy a healthy Christian, right? A healthy church. And ironically, it happens that in God's plan, a healthy church, a, health, a healthy believer is one who has gone through sufferings and adversities. One who has experienced problems, pain, suffering in different ways. Isn't it? That then you, you come closer to the Lord. And we're going to uh, learn from, from this salutation of Peter. How we, the church today, as the church in his time. How the church today is, is helped by the gospel. In order to, to face suffering. And in the middle of suffering. To live as obedient children of God. So, first of all, the Apostle Peter says, Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. As you know, Peter was one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting that when you read how the Lord Jesus uh, gathered these 12 men around him, it's very interesting that he was actually the one who called them and chose them. He elected them, so to say. And that's a main theme in our sermon today as well. It is Jesus Christ who, who went and called Matthew and called Peter, called Andrew. We don't read in the Gospels that, that the apostles-to-be were the ones who, who came to Jesus and asked him, can we follow you? No, it was Jesus Christ who came and followed and, and called them, called them to be uh, his apostles. But Peter, uh, that's a Greek name, right? Peter, which means rock. But when Jesus Christ, if you remember, called him, he changed his name, Simon, Simon or Simeon, uh, Barjona or son of Jonah, you are now be called Cephas or Kephas in, in, in the Aramean language, which in the Greek is Peter. So we can read that from John 1. Let's go to John 1. John 1. John 1, verse 40, 42. We read that Andrew, his brother, brought Peter to Jesus. John 1, 42. Now, when Jesus looked at him, that is to say to Peter, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. And in the Greek, stone is Petros, right? From where we get Peter. Why is this important? Because Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we know and believe, is God himself. And Jesus Christ is doing what only God did when we read the Old Testament. If you remember, God, the Lord, he called several people, and one of them was Abraham. And when he called Abraham, he changed his name, right? Abram to Abraham. We read of Jacob as well, that the Lord said to him, now you're going to be called Israel. So we see that when the Lord calls someone not only calls that person, but gives them a new name, so to say. And the giving of a name denotes the authority of that person given the name. So when God says, your name will be now this and not that, God is telling us that he is the one who is the sovereign Lord, who has all the power and authority to give us a new name. And the new name that he gave those that, that he called, the new name indicated their new identity. The new name indicated their new being. Their new name indicated also their new task or mission, so to say. So we see that what the Lord Yahweh Jehovah did in the Old Testament is exactly what Jesus did with Peter. He calls Peter, gives him a new name, and also a mission. And now, when Peter writes 
his epistle to these brothers and sisters, he writes as Peter, which was his Greek new name given by Jesus, by which he was known among the believers in that time. Because his new name, so to say, uh, show his, his identity, his essence. He is the apostle or one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says in his first letter, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, the one who is sent with all the authority of Jesus Christ to write these things to you. So, brothers and sisters, as we come to First Peter, we should listen to Peter because in listening to him, we are actually listening the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the words that he's going to tell us are so important. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion... In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To the pilgrims of the dispersions. He writes in such interesting way. And the reason is this. That every, almost every word that, that Peter is using in this salutation is taken from the Old Testament. So he calls the church pilgrims of the dispersion. But... Why is Peter calling, calling them pilgrims, sojourners, foreigners? Why is he calling them that way? Well, when Peter calls them that way is because Peter is telling us and telling the church that we are not disconnected from the one people of God in the Old Testament. Peter is telling us there, there is a continuity between the people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament. Let's read, for example, of Abraham in Genesis 23. Genesis 23, as you know, this story. We read the following, Genesis 23, verse 4. He said, Then Abraham stood up from before his dead, his wife Sarah, and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. You see, Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, he was a foreigner, he was a pilgrim. So, when Peter calls the church in that time pilgrims, he's connecting the church of the New Testament with the church of the Old Testament. That we are all pilgrims on earth. And actually, if we go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, from there we learn that this idea or concept of reality of being pilgrims on earth is confirmed by Hebrews 11 from 8 through 13. There we read the following. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. 
and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then we read in verse 12, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead, we were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And 13, These all die in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, Abraham was a foreigner and a pilgrim in the promised land. But what Hebrews is telling us is that not only Abraham was a pilgrim, but that the whole church, those who live in that time, as verse 13 says, they were also strangers and pilgrims on earth. But Hebrews 11.13 says, they embrace them and confess that they were strangers. So when Peter says to the church in that time, to the pilgrims, he's telling them that as a church, to be pilgrims on earth is a confession of faith. It's really our identity on earth. It's not something accidental to us. But we as believers are pilgrims, sojourners on earth. I think that is remarkable. And you know why? Because it goes against our own ego. It goes against our roots. It goes against our nature that we don't want to be considered as pilgrims, as foreigners. We want to be considered as everybody else is considered. But guess what? When Jesus Christ comes to your life, He changes your life. He gives you a new name. He gives you a new identity. And that identity is that together with the whole body of Jesus Christ, we are pilgrims on earth. You see, there are no two peoples of God. There is only one people of God living, living in different times and circumstances. And the thing that unites us together, among other things, is that we are pilgrims, sojourners on earth. So that is what Peter says, first of all, to these brothers and sisters, to the pilgrims. And then he says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Why is Peter using that word, that expression, to the dispersion? You know what? When you go to, to, to the Greek, to the original, it, it reads diaspora. And the diaspora, the dispersion, is what happened to the people of God in the Old Testament. So Peter is using another word that identifies the people of God in the Old Testament with the people of God in the New Testament. He writes to the pilgrims of the dispersion. As you know, brothers and sisters, your, your biblical history, right? The, uh, your biblical theology. You know that the, uh, the people of Israel, because of their sins and rebellion against the commandments of God, they were 
taken captive by the Assyrians first and then by the Babylonians, right? And they were taken to a foreign country. So that is the dispersion in a historical sense. The dispersion that we, we read in the Old Testament. But it's remarkable but that Peter calls these believers pilgrims of the dispersion. How is it that we are also pilgrims of the dispersion in the New Testament? You know, the fact that Peter uses these technical terms, so to say, to refer to the people of Israel, a lot of uh, people believe that First Peter was was written exclusively to Christian Jews. But when you read Peter, you will encounter different things that make you think that even though Peter wrote to Christian Jews, he didn't, he didn't do it exclusively. But he wrote to the Christian church, Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles as well. So, but... How are we pilgrims, sojourners of the dispersion as well? Well, do you remember this, the history in the book of Acts, the historical book in the New Testament? Do you remember when, when Stephen was stoned to death? Do you remember that Paul was behind that and they were persecuting the Christians? So let's go to uh, the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1, we read there the following. Now Saul was consenting to his death, the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You see the Christian dispersion in the very beginning? This is the Christian diaspora, so to say, in which the church is being dispersed among the nations. And then we read in verse, in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered were, went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't it amazing that the first ones who brought the gospel to Asia Minor outside of Jerusalem were not the apostles? were those Christians that were persecuted and scattered. And as they went away, they were preaching the word of God. That's amazing. But then if we go to chapter 11, Acts 11, verse 19, we read the following. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as that's a difficult word for me to pronounce. Phoenicia? 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 Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. You see? Those who were scattered were not, didn't only go to Judea or Samaria, but they went actually beyond the territory of Israel to Asia Minor. They were dispersed. And they brought with them the word of God. One of the things that is remarkable, I believe, is the fact that the Jews in the Old Testament, the people of God, they were scattered. 
they were dispersed because of their disobedience and rebellion against the commandments of the Lord. But it happened the contrary in the, in the New Testament. It happened that because they were faithful, because they were accepting the gospel, they embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of their faith, they were being persecuted. They were scattered and dispersed throughout the world. You see, the same church, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, living in different times and circumstances, which shows us, among other things, that the essence of being Christians is that we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. That even though we live in this country, that we live in this world, this is not our final destination. Peter writes to these brothers and sisters and says to them, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. To the pilgrims of the dispersion. And because the words of Peter are the word of Jesus Christ, he's writing with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's calling the church today, you and I, pilgrims of the dispersion. You know, that is so hard to understand, not to understand, but to accept. It is hard to accept. But that is what we are, brothers and sisters. We are pilgrims of the dispersion. But let's continue to see what Peter says to them. To the pilgrims of the dispersion is in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. How is it that those Christians went to those regions? Well, we already read it. Because of the, uh, of the uh, dispersion of the Jews in the Old Testament, many Jews were already established in those areas. And when the gospel came to that area, they accepted and embraced the gospel, some of them. And we just read that the first Christians who were also dispersed by persecution, they went outside of Jerusalem and they were living in that area. Asia Minor, some districts of the, uh, of the uh, Roman uh, power in that time. So he writes to them, and this is what he tells them. He says to them, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So they are pilgrims, they are sojourners, but they are elect. They are the elect ones, the chosen ones. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. An election, brothers and sisters, is not a New Testament concept. We tend to think that way. But election is actually, its roots are in the Old Testament as well. You know that the people of Israel was the people that the Lord chose among other nations. Right? He chose them. So it is amazing. Every time I read this, and you know... Brothers and sisters, the more we read the Bible, we study the Scriptures, we realize that we are one with the people of God throughout history. Once again, I say it in different times and circumstances, but we are one. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. There is only one people of God. 
And he calls them elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So the Lord elected, chose the people of Israel among other nations. And this is what I think should be so comforting and encouraging for all of us. Because these pilgrims of the dispersion were not pilgrims, were not sojourners, were not foreigners because of their race, language, or nationality. They were actually pilgrims and sojourners because God himself elected them. So, when God elects us, when God chooses us, we become pilgrims on earth. We become sojourners on earth. We become foreigners. And that is something remarkable because we know that this this is not by our own choice, but by the choice of God himself, the almighty God. So he calls them elect. When did God elected us? As these brothers and sisters in that time and area of the empire of Rome were going to face suffering and they were already facing suffering. How was this comforting and encouraging for them in this way? That God's election was not something that God did or created or planned in time and in our history. But his election is actually his eternal purpose and plan being brought to reality in our time and history. So Peter is telling them, brothers and sisters, even though you are going through so much suffering and persecution and pain, you should remember that nobody, nothing, no one, not even suffering persecution will be able to destroy your election. Because that election happened in eternity. Nobody can destroy that. There are so many portions of the Bible, but one of them is Ephesians. We can go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verse 4, 3 and 4. There we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, when time didn't exist, God chose us in Christ. He chose us in eternity to be his elected people. So, when you go through sufferings, when you go through problems in your life, you should remember that. That your salvation is rooted in the perfect plan of God. That you are one of the elect, one of the chosen ones by God's grace and mercy. So Peter says to them, you are elect. So we are pilgrims, not by race, language, but by God's election. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And notice 
Notice the love of God the Father who chose us in whom? In Christ. In Christ. In eternity. He chose us. And as we will see, Peter says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. When he says God the Father, he says it's for the purpose that we understand that for God being the Father is not a mere abstraction or a mere concept, but it is an eternal reality that God is indeed our Father from eternity. That in Him our salvation is secure. We can have the assurance of salvation because He chose us before the foundation of the world. And through Jesus Christ, He actually becomes our Father as well. In Jesus Christ, we are able to enjoy all the benefits of this divine paternity. Which is the model for all paternity, as Paul says in Ephesians as well. You see, he says to them, brothers and sisters, keep going. Keep going, even though you are going through so much suffering. Because your salvation is the result of the eternal plan of God. Notice what Peter says later afterwards to them. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What, what is foreknowledge? Well, this word has to do with knowing what is going to happen in the future before things happen. In a very simple way. But God is not like, I don't know the, the, the English word for chaman. A chaman. You know, a, a guy who, who, who can tell what is going to happen to you tomorrow or next week or next year. A lot of people think of God in that way, that he's just one guy who reads hands, right, and then tells you this is going to happen to you. It includes that because God knows everything. But God's foreknowledge has to do, brothers and sisters, with his own determination to tell us what is going to happen, how it's going to happen, and when it's going to happen. And no one... Nothing, nobody is able to say no to him or stop or frustrate his plans. So when God says, when Peter says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's telling us that God purposefully chose us. That God determined to elect us. In Jesus Christ. That our election. Is not something that he had to do. Because things were wrong. With his original plan. So he determined. To elect us. In Christ. Peter is not saying that God. As many people like to say. Saw. That we were going to do. Good works. And that is why he elected us. No. He's not saying that. His foreknowledge includes that he knows what is going to happen. 
but also includes that he determines what is going to happen. And that is very uh, exemplified in, in, in Jesus' own death. Do you remember that in, in the book of Acts chapter 2? Let's go there to uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. There we read this, and guess who is preaching? Peter, as well. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You see, the same word, foreknowledge, is used in Acts 2.23. He being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That is amazing because, brothers and sisters, God the Father, in Christ Jesus, He determined His purpose by grace and mercy was to to choose you and me. That's why we say that salvation is not by works. It's only by God's grace and mercy. So, we go back to 1 Peter and he says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But how is it that God actually elects us in time or or chooses us in time? Peter says, in sanctification of the Spirit. I mention this because I know that your pastor has taught you well that we don't know who the elect ones are. Right? Only God knows the exact number of the elects and who, who are they in truth. But notice how Peter, he says, he, he calls the church in the dispersion, he calls them elect. How can that be? When John Calvin in his commentary says that here we should exercise the judgment of love, of charity. That what Peter is actually telling us is that the ones that we see in church that are sanctified according to our human eyes, the ones that we can see and bear fruits of the gospel, the fruits of the spirit, we can say we are elect. We are chosen by God. We're not saying that as we were God, but God gave us this portion of the scripture to encourage us and to be assured that if we believe the gospel, if we believe in this God who elected us before the foundation of the world, then we are the elect ones. We are those who enjoy the benefits and the blessings of God's election. But how is it that we know that God's election is being, is, it happens in our lives. Peter says, in sanctification of the Spirit. The word sanctification means to purify, to clean. It means to take away everything that is against God's will and that offends God. To take all sin away. 
So we cannot be sanctified without the Spirit of God. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one who cleans us, cleanses us from all our sins, who set us apart to serve our God and Father. So notice that Peter is actually telling the church little by little, and this is also that he's teaching us today or confirming in us today, that we can be assured of our salvation, that we can face suffering, go through suffering, because we know that our salvation is done by God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and as we will see later, by our Lord Jesus Christ. We see how the three persons of the Trinity acts in such a way to achieve a perfect salvation for us, to give us assurance of salvation. In sanctification of the Spirit. But for what reason? Peter says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting how Peter uh, tells us the way of our salvation is is being done by God. He says that one of the fruits of, of the results of the sanctification of the Spirit is for obedience and a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Two, two things. But before that, when Peter speaks of the sanctification of the Spirit, the word sanctification, especially, we perhaps don't see it in, 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 in Spanish, in English. In Spanish too, we don't see it. Uh, but... When we read the word sanctification in the original Greek, it is a very specific word that tells us that the sanctification effected by the Holy Spirit is an ongoing sanctification. That He's always sanctifying us, cleansing us, purifying us day by day. That is, I believe, amazing. That is amazing. In sanctification of the Spirit. So He sanctifies us. And nobody is able to come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit brings Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that one of the results of the sanctification of the Spirit is for obedience. For obedience. And according to the context in Peter... It is safe to say that obedience means to the obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, embrace the whole of the scriptures. So Peter is telling them to these pilgrims and sojourners that when the Holy Spirit works in them, they actually become obedient to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say this because of the following. Remember, they were living in a pagan world in which the Roman Empire and the pagan religions were persecuting them, were after, after them. They hated them. But Peter says to them, even, even in the middle of that, even 
when you think that you won't be able to embrace the gospel, when the Holy Spirit comes to your life and transforms and gives you a new heart, you abandon that style of life to become an obedient child of the Lord. We perhaps don't see that in that deep sense nowadays. But as we work with other Christians, and we happen to know, for example, Christians who are Muslims, right? Or other religions, in which they are exiled from their families because they embrace the gospel. We start to realize that what Peter is saying is true. It's really true. That your own family will despise you. Your own family will hate you. But when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will actually obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You will. No matter what. You will. And then Peter says, In sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Once again, this expression, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, has its roots in the Old Testament. We can go to uh, Exodus. Let's go to Exodus quickly. Exodus 24. Exodus 24. And there we read the following. 24. Verse... 24, 24 verse 8. When the people committed to obey and follow God's words, God's commandments, and the Lord ratified His covenant with them, there we read, And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. You see, Moses sprinkled that blood on the people. And we read in 1 Peter that he's telling them that they are sanctified by the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So what Peter is telling them is that there is no way to obey God unless the Holy Spirit works in us. And what is the way in which the Holy Spirit works in us? Jesus Christ said it. He will take everything from me and teach you. So what the Holy Spirit does is that he takes that perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect sacrifice, that blood that he shed on the cross, and he applies it to our hearts in such a way, brothers and sisters, that when we are a sprinkle by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are fully forgiven of all our sins. So Peter is telling them, you are elect of God the Father. You have been sanctified by the Spirit, and you have been forgiven by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who rescued from condemnation. So when you go through sufferings, remember this. Remember that the Almighty God, the Eternal Father, the Holy Spirit and His Son, the three of them 
work in such a way that they have secured your salvation. That is the foundation of your salvation. That is why, to finish, Peter says to them, grace to you, grace to you and peace be multiplied. They need it every day, every single day as we need it as well. Peter says, be multiplied. This grace, this undeserved favor of God, this peace with God and with your neighbors, this peace that transcends all understanding, all of this be multiplied. Notice how Peter is using a Hebrew way of speaking which he doesn't mention who is going to multiply this grace. He says, be multiplied. And the Hebrews used to, to say that because they presuppose who the subject, who the agent of multiplication was. And in this case, the one who multiplies his grace and peace is God himself in us. God himself. A lot of these Christians, brothers and sisters, die because of their faith. They suffer so much. We live in a country in which yet we're not being persecuted because of our faith. But there are other Christians. Actually, in Mexico, if you didn't know, there are many places in which Christians are being persecuted and are being killed. They suffer in that way, but we also suffer in different ways. You can, you can tell it when you go out, and the ones who do not believe the gospel, they see us with so much hatred. They despise us. But guess what? A healthy church, a healthy Christian, ironically, is one that suffers because of the gospel. But not suffers just because of suffering, but suffers because we know that in Jesus Christ we have a perfect salvation. That is the Holy Spirit that works in us every day to cleanse us, to purify us, to take away that sin. And we know that God the Father elected us in eternity in Jesus Christ to be his people. So, do not be discouraged. We're going to face a lot of sufferings, a lot of pain. But God is with us. And our salvation is secure in his hands. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We know, Lord, that there are some portions of the scriptures which are so profound. Everything is profound, but there are some that we cannot but just worship you because of what you did in eternity for us. Thank you, Father, for these beautiful words. Thank you that even when we don't know how to pray to you, your Holy Spirit, Paul says, helps us and intercedes for us. Thank you, Father. We cannot understand the whole meaning of being God's elect the work of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of all our sins that we have in Jesus Christ. But it's a reality in our lives and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.